Hey, hey, hey! It is Friday the 13th, and you're listening to True Form, a podcast where I unleash my true self as much as I can while still being conscious of the fact that I'm on the internet. My name is Pona, and today I'll be reading whatever chapters I feel like from my personal essay titled So What Do You Do? I've already read chapters 1 through 4 in previous episodes, so go back and listen to those if you haven't already. Alright, so today I'm taking myself again back to early 2018, which wasn't that long ago, but a lot can happen in a short amount of time, such as going vegan, which you should, if you're not already, that is. Alright, so, chapter 5 More to life than shelling out resumes and hoping for a callback. I've had jobs before. <laughs> I love how I just had to specify that. Having a job used to fuel my ambition until it didn't. I moved from job to job, never staying at one job for too long. My longest job was two and a half years, my shortest, a week. At the beginning, it's fun because I'm learning new things and I still haven't gotten the hang of anything, so I'm always on edge. I've never had a job that I absolutely detested, so any bitterness about my jobs didn't come from the work itself, but maybe the lack of control I had over how things were run, having to abide by someone else's schedule and policies, and not having time to pursue my hobbies or travel, etc., etc. You could come up with entire character personas just based on people who live the 9 to 5 life. Footnote. Because no matter how much they try and talk about work life balance, there is no such thing when you work that many hours a week, in my opinion. Yes, this is true. Close footnote. All right, so now there are bullet points here of personas that I have written down. I have not created them because these are just ones that I've observed in real life that exist. So here they are The one who loves it and wakes up every morning refreshed and ready to start their day. The one who is indifferent about it and just needs to pay the bills and have something to occupy themselves with day to day. The one who hates it and wants to leave but can't afford to. The one who hates it and can afford to leave but there's never a good time. The one who's on contract and never knows how the tides will turn, etc., etc. There are so many different personas of just different people who work nine to five、um, that you can come up with. So th- these are just a few that I came up with. All right. I was the person who was grateful for the opportunity and was generally happy but never satisfied. I could afford to leave, I just needed to pluck up the courage to do so. And that's what I've done a few times now. I always end up wanting more from life and to be on my own schedule. I've never really considered myself an ambitious person because I always thought that was something only cool people had. <laughs> but I just can't do things by other people's rules for too long or else I feel trapped. Therefore, in my adult life, just like I did when I was a teenager, I asked myself, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just get a job like normal people and just stick with it? I've considered looking for a job, but I realized I no longer had any desire to. As an adult with full control over my own life, I'm not going to put myself in situations that I don't want to be in. Sounds smart, right? Where would I even work? Small companies are cool, but harder to get into, and you end up doing a lot of work that you aren't fairly compensated for. Large companies, let's just say, for lack of a better analogy, that I hate being a small fish at the bottom of the food chain. So I know what it's like to be a perpetual intern and not adequately compensated for my work. I never want to feel duped like that ever again. With the knowledge that my answer to 
what do you do? Can make or break the respect that someone might have for me based on their perception of my occupation or lack thereof. I always feel pressure to have a nice little answer all wrapped up with a neat little bow to give them. Think elevator pitch, aka that dreaded thing they make you learn that I've never mastered and probably never will. Sometimes I deliver my answer with a strong and steady voice that doesn't betray anxiety, but other times I open myself up to a little vulnerability. It really depends on the day and on who happens to be listening. I'll make something up along the lines of, I'm currently switching careers right now, so I'm taking some time off to relax and figure things out because I don't want to rush things and end up in something else that I'll regret later on. Other times, it sounds more like, are you a student? No. Are you working? No. And then no further questions. It's this second scenario that leaves me with this strange feeling of having been stripped of my dignity. Whenever I have to go out and meet people, I dread the moment when someone wants to know what I do. It's deeply personal, and I'm being a baby, I know. There are worse things in the world than people asking me what I do for a living. But the feeling of no one will talk to me if I don't got anything going on is very real and something I've been working to overcome. It's almost as if admitting to being unemployed is like admitting to being inferior. But I tell myself constantly that I'm lost and stuck right now and that it isn't a permanent state. And I know this because there have been times where other people were jealous of me because I'd gotten lucky and things fell into my lap with really no conniving on my part. Success is a constant state of evolution. Once I have achieved something, I may feel successful for a few months, but eventually I'll start to tire of whatever it is I'm doing and want something more. I found myself admiring people who are only a few steps ahead of me. If they're a pro, they're out of reach inaccessible. I'll never catch up. But if they're just one or two levels up, it means they were in my position not too long ago, and therefore I have hope that with some hard work and determination, I can reach their level. The people who are too far gone are, for example, celebrities. People who are so rich that people give them free shit, which makes no sense, but okay. People who get paid to simply appear like guest judges on American Idol who contribute nothing except, oh my god, you're so cute and whose sole purpose is to help the show's ratings simply by showing their face. And no one even knows what they did to become famous, just that they are. But I digress. Along with wondering if people will respect me, is wondering if anyone <laughs> would date me. Oh my god, we're going there. Not in an I'm-so-sad kind of way, but in an analytical way, because that's how I do, like in a critical analysis kind of a way. So as a female... I grew up learning not to date waste men. What do boys learn about dating girls? Is there a double standard? Women are always looking for guys that are way above them to lift them up. But what about men? This whole time that I've been unemployed, I've wondered if just being attractive was enough. Does being an unemployed woman make me undateable? The thing is, if a man is unemployed, he's automatically a waste. Yeah, that's what we learn in society, isn't it? Yeah. Having a job is one of the most basic criteria for choosing a man. That's what everyone's, like, parents or guardians tell them. And society and your friends and whatever. And I can see how that puts a lot of pressure on guys as well. On their end, to just always have it going on. And maybe they're more pressured than we are to just, like, work 9 to 5, you know? Um, however, as an unemployed woman, I certainly don't feel like a waste. I'm not just sitting at home doing nothing. I have ambitions, and I'm working on personal projects that interest me. 
If I had the time and energy, I would download some dating app and put this to the test, but I'm not that curious. <laughs> so the question remains unanswered. <laughs> uh, but I mean, dating apps are so superficial anyways. I wonder, like, if I literally put, like, unemployed, what would happen? <laughs> I still don't want to try it, though. All right, next chapter here. Chapter six, it's called Privilege. So far, I probably sound whiny and privileged. Or maybe that's just my brain scolding me for having ambitions again. However, I do feel the need to address the issue. This chapter exists for me to acknowledge that as far as privilege goes, I've got tons of it. I haven't had to work half as hard as my parents did to have what I have today. Privileged people still have to work hard to get places, but their opportunities, access to resources, and support systems are very different. I was born in Canada. My privileges include the following. Canadian citizenship, fluency in the English language, access to quality education, free health care, and I grew up also with free dental care through my parents. And then there are the other privileges that my parents don't really consider, such as being heterosexual, cisgender, and able-bodied. Furthermore, I have light skin, and the way that I look usually is not threatening to anybody. I'm also attractive by whoever standards we currently live by. Theoretically, I should be ballin' by now, no? My parents certainly thought so, but the thing is, I'm privileged in comparison to them. Amongst my own peers, it's a totally different ballgame. As the child of first-generation immigrants who started from scratch, there are people who are way ahead of me, and I'm talking old roots and old money. My parents always told me that I could work wherever I wanted as long as I ended up in a big company with really good benefits. Even though they never dictated my life, I'm sure they would have preferred if I'd become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. My mother once told me that if she were me and had the privilege of being born in Canada and could speak fluent English, and had a lot of free time growing up, and had access to education like I did, she would have become a lawyer and made the big bucks. It annoyed me a lot, since she was basically saying that I was wasting my life and the privileges she fought so hard to get me. Part of the reason it also annoyed me, though, was because she was right. I, of course, had no idea that I was privileged beyond belief. My life was all I knew. It was normal to me. The only barrier to my becoming a lawyer was the desire to do so. To me, that was pretty basic. Why would I do something I didn't want to? But to my mother, that was the stupidest thing ever. I didn't have to work hard to learn English or get an education. Those doors were wide open and I basically fell through them in my sleep. To her, I was giving away a six-figure salary simply because I didn't want to be a lawyer. To her, that was the laziest thing in the world. What does desire have to do with work? To further illustrate our cultural difference, this was a conversation we once had. Me. Did you have fun at work today? Mom, in a very angry tone. What do you mean, fun at work? Work is not fun. Work is work. Fun is fun. Don't be stupid. If I were her puppet, I would have started working on my 16th birthday, aka when the government lets you. Never aspire to anything more than being an employee at a large company, made mountains of money, retired early, collected pension, and voila. Life goals achieved. Privileged though I am, there were also certain things that I didn't have that some of my white classmates did. Footnote. I went to a school in predominantly white middle-class neighborhood where people had noise houses. Close footnote. 
Apparently, according to TV and other real-life sources, white parents actually try and get on the same level as their kids and talk to them without yelling and telling them they're worthless pieces of crap. Furthermore, white parents support their kids and encourage them even when things are looking grim. Wow, what a concept. In my household, if we weren't doing anything wrong, we had peace. Otherwise, all hell broke loose. My parents moved to a new country and raised kids that were different from them culturally. Where they're from, parents are superior and must be obeyed. Having kids who talked back to them was definitely not something they signed up for. There was so much stuff that we did that just didn't exist when they were kids in Vietnam. How can they support something if they don't even know what it is? Only thing they could do was make sure we weren't doing drugs or getting pregnant. Because they started from scratch, they weren't exactly my career role models. Everything I have outside of what they gave me, I built myself. They made sure I had a place to sleep, didn't starve, and could go to school. Everything I learned at school was all me. So when other students in my class have parents who do some really cool profession, that's a privilege that I don't have. Not all kids follow in their parents' footsteps, but that's still a foot in the door. Resources, access, connections to other people in the field, an insider look at the profession through parents or someone you already know or that you look up to, you know, that sort of thing. I had a really fuzzy idea of what a lot of professions actually entailed, and maybe that's why I never ended up pursuing any. I could have, but I was afraid of what would happen to me if I plunged deep into something I really couldn't see the end result of. And then here's a little dialogue here that I wrote. Um, someone says, Engineers build bridges. Me. But I don't want to build bridges, therefore I'm not going to become an engineer. Lawyers argue. But I don't like arguing, therefore I'm not going to become a lawyer. Doctors have to go to school for 10 years. But I don't like school, therefore I'm not going to become a doctor. When I pursued arts administration as a career, there was always something that didn't feel right. I always felt like I was trying to fit into some bougie white people territory. My mother always told me that my speaking English as a first language is a huge privilege because I can blend in with the whites. <laughs> but do I really blend in though? There was always this unspoken weird feeling that I had, something that was hard to explain. I realized that I was looked upon as lesser. Not explicitly, obviously, because heaven forbid, but implicitly, I was seen as simply less experienced. The way that I was talked to, the tasks that I was asked to do, the fake smiles, made me feel like I was naturally inferior. I'm not going to give examples or explain what I mean, because if you know what I mean, then you know. You've got to have a certain level of privilege to pursue arts administration as a career, because no matter how glamorous the arts look on the outside, perception, illusion, appearances, they can't afford to pay their employees a living wage. Footnote, this has been my experience in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Close footnote. God knows how many unpaid internships I went through under the guise of getting a foot in the door. Bullshit. What other sector would accept this as legal? I acknowledge the financial freedom I have thanks to my hardworking parents. Now that I'm older, I wish that I had pursued something more profitable to have been able to give back to them earlier. Okay, chapter 7. This looks like an open letter to my parents. So chapter 7 is called Working the traditional way just doesn't feel right. Hey, mom and dad. You guys were right all along. I should have chosen a field of study that has a Chinese translation. <laughs> 
Because of the life you gave me, making money was never my priority. I just wanted to find something that felt right to me. What I never anticipated was that what felt right would keep evolving. I always thought I would find that one thing that worked and keep moving up that ladder until I was successful enough. Instead, I find myself starting at square one over and over again. I thought my previous experiences would make it easier to get my next job, but it still feels the same every time I apply for one, even if I know I'm overqualified. I turned down an interview for a full-time job because I'm too proud to waste my energy working full-time for minimum wage at a job that I'm greatly overqualified for. I interviewed for two jobs at the same bank where the pay was higher than I'd ever been paid before, but didn't make a strong enough first impression on the interviewers. But guess what? I was relieved to have been rejected from that one. I can't imagine spending my life somewhere, full-time is basically life, where I don't feel like I belong, in a field that I'm not passionate about, with no time or energy left to have hobbies. My hobbies are what drive me to a certain extent. As an introvert, I need that alone time. Coming home exhausted and asleep by 9pm and having to wake up the next day and do it all again is the recipe for a bad mood, because I feel like I was just here and now I'm here again. What is my life? Sorry, mom and dad. I know you did it for 30 years to keep this family fed, but maybe I'm not as strong as you are. I can't just find any old job that pays well and stick it out until I retire. Just the thought of that makes me deeply unhappy. I'm not sure if it has something to do with self-esteem, but I never considered myself smart enough to pursue, quote, smart fields. But thinking about it now, I'm not sure if I still don't want to pursue them because I for real actually don't want to, or because I think it's too late now. Why then, in the pursuit of happiness, do we have to be miserable along the way? Do we ever make it to the end, whatever that end may be? I'm in a frustrating situation right now. I constantly feel lost, even when I'm probably making progress. I'm a doer. I can't be idle for very long. Being in the field that I've been in, working for free because I love it so much is a constant theme. I know that in your minds, volunteerism is the single most stupid concept to ever exist, and I get it. Why exchange labor for no pay? But this time I promise it's different. I only do what brings me joy and what feeds my energy. I've often wondered whether a normal person in my position would have gone into a depression by now. I've thought about this often and can safely say that I'm quite happy where I am. The only time I get irritated is when anyone asks me when I'm going to get a job. Part of why I thought I might be depressed comes from the complete and utter lack of desire to find a job. Have I given up on life? Or is this my chance to create something of my own? I don't want to tie myself down, making dollar after dollar every day without anything to show for it in my own name. I realized that I would rather not make any money for a year and keep pursuing my dreams than make a ton of money and not have the energy to dream. I might just be delusional, and I'm aware of that, but I'm glad you've decided not to kick me out of the house while I navigate through this awkward phase. I do feel like I'm redoing my teen years, but with the knowledge that I know now. I've been given another chance to redo my career choice. I'm glad I have the privilege of being single and have no kids to feed and parents to live with while I figure out this difficult process. But know that whatever you might think about me, I'm not all those things. I'm an extremely hard worker and I have a ton of skills. I would never put those to waste. I'm just learning how to do something new. It might look like I never leave the house or change out of my pajamas, but in fact, I'm learning more now than I ever did at any internship where I wasn't allowed to touch anything. The internet wasn't a thing when you were growing up, so you don't understand it now. But it's the only reason that I'm sane right now. 
Without it, I would truly be lost. If we measure my successes financially, it looks indeed as though I'm failing royally. But if we measure by knowledge, it's a lot more hefty. In Chinese culture, there is a thing called saving face. The way you are perceived affects your whole family. The family is an entity, not individuals who have nothing to do with one another. If you do something that doesn't look good, it taints the way that everyone else in your family is perceived. Every day, I see another example of how a person's profession can really color how they are perceived by strangers. I totally get why you didn't want my unemployed ass to go to your work party that one year. I was 17. Ten years later, we're in the same place. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that as far as your coworkers are concerned, you only have two daughters. As in my two sisters. <laughs> okay, so back to 2019. That concludes part three of me exploring my past self through this relic that lives in cloud storage. I'm not going to comment much on it because I think it speaks for itself and my mind hasn't changed at all that much since then about the topics that I cover. I guess the only thing that's changed is that I feel less lost because I'm no longer desperate to have answers. I'm sort of just letting things cruise along and following my curiosities and things are like working out, you know? But even just the other day, I heard my parents telling my sister that the best time to start making money is when you're young, so then by the time you're old, you're basically rich. And hearing conversations like this used to bother me because I felt like it was a direct jab at me. But now I just hear sound logic coming from their personal experience. I think that the peace of mind that present me has is exactly what past me would have wanted. So hallelujah to that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of True Form. And if you liked it, then maybe you'll see you back again next time. Bye!